the, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Hey there. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Nature Connection Show, where every fourth Friday, along with our guest co-host, fine art nature photographer, Margot Carrera, we talk about the environment and mm-hmm. nature and wildlife, all, you know, just beauty. So mm-hmm. today's special guest is Kristen Olson. She is a just amazing writer. Uh, she's an author. Uh, you may know her book, The Soil Will Save Us. And uh, she's got her new book is out now, and it is called Sweet in Tooth and Claw, Stories of Generosity and Cooperation in the Natural Mm -hmm. World. Um, So September 6th was the release date. Of course, we're airing this a little later from that, but it is out through Patagonia. And I just want to give a shout out to Patagonia because I think they're one of the most awesome environment or nature stores you can go shop at because they actually save land and they're really cool so mm. I, I love it that her book is through them and I encourage you to go to her website kristenolson.com that's k-r-i-s-t-i-n-o-h-l-s-o-n so welcome Kristen how are you I'm fine nice to talk to you you too cool. I remember seeing you um, on a documentary about the soil <laughs> <laughs> it's the ground yes that yeah that kiss uh, the ground that that documentary really got uh, a lot of people thinking about soil yeah I think that's so important good we, thing um, you know we travel full-time Nancy and I travel full-time documenting parks public lands and of course then we get into the communities because that's the whole point is to connect the natural space with the communities and it was about, I'm going to say four or five years ago, we were up in San Benito County and there was a ranch called Piscinus Ranch and um, they're still going. They're awesome. And I get these soil newsletters every week or so. They are working on fixing soil as mm-hmm. ranchers and um, really taught us a lot that even if you're organic and you're doing mass crops, that even that's not good enough. So right. If you're if you're doing tillage, if you're doing monocultures, all yeah. of those practices are really, you know, they're so counter to the way the natural world grows food. Exactly. So I think, you know, that's the problem. It's, you know, when you when you till, you rip up and destroy those soil communities that have, you know, carefully engineered the soil for their own liking and you and when you have monocultures, you just, you know, it, it becomes kind of like a desert for beneficial mm-hmm. insects. And yeah. Yeah, it's a bad choice. It's a really bad choice. Monocrop, the, the monocrops, you know, that we've seen, especially in certain places that we've lived, you can see if you stay for two years or more, a change in the insects and the bird life. Oh, they, I'm sure because, yeah, they flock if the crop is something they want to eat 
If not, they bypass and go somewhere else. So then all of a sudden, now the, the whole cycle changes when you do monocrops and it not for the better. It's right. a disruption. It's not natural. Hmm. Right. And then when you go the other direction, as many hmm. farmers and ranchers and, you know, fruit growers and all that, when you go the opposite and you add biodiversity, you add mm. cover crops and you add other things to draw back insects and birds and all that, that can also change really quickly too, which is mm -hmm. exciting. It's yeah. actually today we are, because we travel full-time and we pets it as we travel, it's something that happened in COVID. So we end up in all these different circumstances all the time. <laughs> and right now we're on a farm in, in North uh, Carolina and uh, for two months, and we've been here before. And so they grow organic vegetables for the food bank, the local food bank, which I think is amazing. And they have chickens and guinea fowl. And so you may hear things, but anyway, <laughs> I was just out harvesting today and I'm going like, this is amazing that we have fresh mm -hmm. pesticide free, you know, this, she's working with nature with this garden. It's a, it's a giant garden. And so this morning we had a huge storm and I'm out there and I was thinking about you coming on the show and I'm like, the spiders had to redo all their webs today. Yeah. And so like you're creeping around and most people will freak out about spider webs, but there's, I don't know what it is. Like once you, you got to get over your fear of nature, but my hands are going in amongst the spider. I mean, these are big, they're freaky. Okay. There's a big but you're in and you, they don't care. They're like, okay, you're a big shadow coming in. That's not my food. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> there's this balance of you're talking to the spiders in the peppers and all of that. And I don't know, but when you see that they're working with you and there is a communicate, I, I know it sounds weird, but there's a communication that you can have with nature and you can work together. Yeah, You can talk yeah. to them. And it's so wonderful when you, when you're in the rest of nature, among the rest of nature, and you recognize, oh yeah, you're doing that and you're doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not posing a danger to me. You're you're busily doing that, and that's important work. Tell us yeah. a little bit about the title, Sweet in Tooth and Claw. And by the way, the front, I mean the the cover I of the book, it. that photo. We we lived in Tucson for many years, and yes, so that's, that's awesome. a that's I'm I'm kind of homesick looking at it because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm missing the doves hang out on the saguaros um, and our saguaro cactus, they're, they're in danger too. You know, yeah, um, you think about all that. the I love that animals area. that live in it. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It, it's, yeah. you know, five seasons and the biodiversity of the Sonoran desert is insane. But uh, tell us about the title and what led you to this book, because you're talking about cooperative and cooperation, right. which we can learn from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the title um, sort of popped into my head, um, and it's a play on a line from a poem uh, by Alfred Lord Tennyson, you know, a couple hundred years ago, grieving the death of a friend of his, a young friend of his, and, you know, and he has this line in the poem, nature, red in tooth and claw, and, you know, it's a pretty long poem, it's not a short poem. I don't think any of the other lines of the poem have traveled through history to stick with us, but that one did. And I, in this book, I really kind of wanted to push against those ideas about that nature is red and tooth and claw, that nature is all about conflict, that nature is all about competition. 
Um, and that is why I chose this title. I mean, I really didn't choose it. It just sort of popped into my head and I thought, oh, that works. Mm. You know, I, I had a job once where my job was sweet. Just sit in a rock, on a rock and watch animals in, in Kenya um, and take notes of what they did and what I saw. And at first I thought, oh man, I sit here forever and not see anything. But the second or third day, all of a sudden, I was part of that. And I wasn't scary anymore. And then I saw tons, tons of things. And lizards would come up and look at me and I'd talk to them. That's, hi, how are you doing? You know, and then start taking notes on everything. And I saw how nature interacts and how mm -hmm. you, there is no way one species can survive without another. So when a species goes extinct, there's gonna be ones that it's like dominoes. The rest are gonna fall unless they have the ability to quickly find a new food source or shelter source or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. so yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the things, one of, yeah, I, you know, probably one of the main things that I write about in the book is this, uh, is this concept of mutualisms, you know, mm -hmm. mutualisms are mutually beneficial relationships in nature. Right. So the cover of the book shows some of those mutually beneficial relationships. Mm -hmm. And probably the most common one that we see every day or that one would hope we see every day is bees going to flowers, you know, bees mm -hmm. are going around and collecting pollen and nectar from flowers and as they go into the flowers they take away some of the pollen grains and right. then as mm -hmm. they go to other flowers they are fertilizing they're actually carrying out um uh, sort of a third party mating mm -hmm. uh, for the plants and going around and fertilizing <laughs> all these other plants so that there are seeds and fruits and all that stuff that results and um you know so that that's probably the most commonly observed mutualism, but there are millions of mutualisms and mm -hmm. every creature, pro probably every single creature is involved in not one, but many, many, many mutualisms. Mm -hmm. um, and all the ecosystems on earth are held together by those mutualisms. And you're right, you know, if, if a creature is eliminated, then it's not just one connection that um, is snapped, you know, one, one, piece of the web of life that snapped that creature is connected to many many other living many. things and it's a mm -hmm. it's a blow to the web of life yeah mm. it it's is. really exciting what i remember in school and, and taking biology and learning about how like remora fish and sharks hang out together mm -hmm. and uh, the importance of the two and that was this symbiosis that happened between the two of them and then we we even got into parasitic symbiosis like mistletoe mm -hmm. on a tree and then in going back to Tucson, you have the Phanopepla bird that's hanging out and it'll go to the mistletoe that everyone's like, oh, it's a parasite. The mistletoe is not good. I'm like, leave the mistletoe, leave it. <laughs> Here comes the Phanopepla bird, you know, and, and they're cool. They're like amazing, mm. shiny black flycatcher birds. And, and they whistle at you. But as yeah. you think you're going through a construction site, you're not. <laughs> it's the Phanopepla birds going, woo, woo. You know? so, but it's, you know, but it's there after the mistletoe. And so there's this whole thing where the, the, the mistletoe needs the tree, the bird needs the mistletoe, everybody's working together. And, but what 
biology did in school stopped short at it was only two and two and two didn't go beyond the mistletoe and the tree or the mistletoe right. and the bird it didn't add mm -hmm. in three four the whole web we yeah. somehow it always got stopped short so for you where was it when you went aha we need to show beyond the two <laughs> um well let me see i mean i went aha the first time i heard suzanne samard uh talk mm -hmm. and <clears throat> for people who don't know that yet she is this remarkable forest ecologist from British Columbia. And um, she, I, I, you know, I had in my previous book, The Soil Will Save Us, I had become, I mean, there were so many wonderful things that I learned writing that book. I mean, that's the great thing about writing a book. You learn mm -hmm. all sorts of things. Uh, you sort of plunge into these new questions. So one of the most exciting things that I learned in that book was that plants are not just takers. You know, there's this mm -hmm. uh, there's this message that comes out from industrial agriculture, and especially the big corporations that sell products to uh, big agriculture. You know that plants are just these takers. Plants just suck all the goodness out of the soil. They suck all the nutrients mm -hmm. out. They suck all the minerals out. They leave nothing behind so that farmers in this line of thinking need to keep piling on chemical fertilizer to make up for all this sucking out that the plants do. And the most exciting thing that I learned um, in that other book was, was that plants are also givers. You know, plants are yeah. making this uh, sugary carbon fuel through photosynthesis and using that to grow, mm -hmm. but they are also sharing um, a, a large percentage of that carbon fuel through their roots to this community of soil microorganisms down there. So they are, they are feeding carbon sugar to these soil microorganisms and in exchange those soil microorganisms are bringing plants minerals and nutrients and water and bringing in chemical messages from other plants. I mean there's this incredible complexity going on around every single plant. So um, what sort of blew that picture up even bigger for me was hearing Suzanne Samara talk about her work as a forest ecologist and discovering that trees are connected by these incredible underground networks mm -hmm. of uh, fungi. You know, that the fungi, this mycorrhizal fungi makes so cool. these silky mm -hmm. strands that, mm -hmm. that run under the forest floor and connect um, connect the roots of all these trees and, and knit the trees into a community and not just the trees, but other plants in the woods. Um, so that it's this whole underground sharing and trading and communication system that is completely out of, um, completely out of touch for us unless, unless science looks into it. Um, it's, so it's, that kind of blew yeah. up. That kind of blew up the idea of connection, and uh, you know that 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 it's that vast and potentially endless. You know, if you mm. think that everything in a forest is connected, well, then you know how much are they connecting with uh, living things that are on the other side of the forest and on the other side of that? You just can imagine mm -hmm. these these strings of connection going on forever. Giant communities. I mean, the fungus, mm -hmm. I think, the, you know, to me, mushrooms and fungus, I'm really fascinated by them because 
they you know and i think they're friends with coral come on they all look <laughs> it's like once <laughs> the ocean well, there's there. a bug but, ground like yeah out of the water coral but yeah and, it, but they yeah. but they're part they're in their own genus they are not mm. just pure plant they've got animal in them too so vegetarians you're eating meat in no. a weird way i'm just saying they are part there's like an animal thing in there and mm, it's just a crossover see, every time i see mushrooms in a forest or in a natural mm. area i'm like oh health is happening i've always just thought that i've never understood mm -hmm. it i just went it's healthy you know because it's cool but it i think when you see this big connectivity, I want to go to Marco on this and, and bring you in here because I know you're into this. I it am. is I positive. Am. Yeah. It's a positive thing with the this network she's talking about, this you know, plant fungi network. It's something that humans can learn, don't you think? Even what we're doing with the show and everything is we can learn. Yeah. Well, I actually I believe I saw a TED talk um by Suzanne uh Simmer. And it totally changed the way I looked at the forest and looked at the the what's happening underground. Mm -hmm. Because um, yes, we see the trees help, uh, the bees help the flowers. We see what's happening on top, right? Mm -hmm. But we are not seeing the integration that's going on underground. And it was fascinating what the things she was sharing about um, warning of danger. Uh, plants actually sending out um, information um, and uh, trees that were injured uh, sending out new roots for new trees to grow underground uh, just uh, amazed me of the connection and the uh, cooperation is what I want to say going on in the natural world that we're not seeing and we should be studying and understanding better because it'll keep our environment healthier. One example she shared was in the forest, uh, there were other trees growing in an area and it was dense so that they, uh, one forester came in and took out the trees. And then all of a sudden the other trees uh, weren't doing as well. Yeah. Well, the two, two different types of trees were kind of feeding each other, helping each other. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, and so we have to think uh, that maybe nature knows a little bit more than we do and stop, <laughs> stop manipulating things. And, well, I, and that, I, I know you yeah. have that in your book about, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and not interfering in uh, the way nature uh, supports uh, and, and works together to create things. And, and, and I think yeah. Suzanne, I think Suzanne is an example of the kind of science that we need so much more of. I mean, we all mm -hmm. know that um, scientists are struggling to get funding for their work. And because government has sort of pulled back funding over the last couple of decades, private industry is providing more of that funding, but we really need that funding that is just is purely about understanding nature, purely about understanding our impact and 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 helping us uh, mediate our impact and and figure out how to fit in with the rest of nature. So, you know, we 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 need less of the kind of science that looks at nature to try to figure out a product to to feed well, it into submission. Yeah, I think our our outlook has 
historically been control it mm-hmm. and benefit from it instead of looking at the idea of how we can make sure that we don't annihilate it because when we do annihilate it we're gone as mm-hmm. a species too so right. you know it's kind of in our best interest to treat the earth with kindness and respect and actually do our homework yeah and not from yeah. a dollar sign idea but from a we need to be able to breathe Mm-hmm. Try to breathe without any trees or plants and see what happens. But I think this is what's so important about yeah. your books, um, that you are getting to the general population and you write in a way of, you know, you invite us into this magical mm-hmm. space. Each story you tell, it's this, you're showing us the wonders of nature, of how mm-hmm. it works. And so stories cool. and people <laughs> and places and the photos too. I'm like, some of the areas that you you cover Nevada mm-hmm. and I love that you talk about the wetlands and we've been all through that area through Yarrington yeah. and mm-hmm. some of the wildlife areas that I mean it, the birding is amazing there if you're into bird watching but I am mm-hmm. I, we are yeah we are. <laughs> Excuse me. but um so some of the areas a lot of people don't realize Nevada has this and our wetlands are in huge danger from what we've seen we've been to wetlands in Oh, Northeast Texas, West Texas, no, no, excuse me, West Texas, uh, New Mexico, last year, spring, March, yes. April, the prime time to see the migration of waterfowl. And we went there and the, we got dust devils. It, it was like and a dust bowl of these totally lakes. Dried up. So we're going, this is insanity. This, so what happens to these birds? You know, so we're, we're supposed to protect that for them to have these places. That's where I think our symbiosis is off. But, you know, when we talk about it, we're like, damn it, <laughs> everybody <laughs> wanted playing pots and pans. But it's very important that people read your book because you're bringing back that mystical, magical thing for people to understand and be curious about nature and, and care about her because you're letting people know about science. And science is a very scary word for people and people don't understand science that it is always evolving. That is the basis of science, that everything is always changing and evolving. But we have this anti-science thing going on in our country and other places in the world, unfortunately. And I just think we can't argue anymore. It doesn't work. And so we really do need for people to understand. And I think the written word and what you've written is just one of those places where people can fall in love with nature. People are scared of nature. They're scared. Well, there's things in nature that are scary unless you learn about them. And science is the process of learning about your environment. Mm -hmm. So what could be better for people than to learn about where they live? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't find, I find science fascinating and there's always more to learn. I don't know why you would think it's scary. I don't know. I don't... uh, what have you, you know, found, Kristen, with your research? Yeah. Do you know what I mean about people being scared about nature and even science? Because it's well, fear think, of the unknown. I think people are scared of things like viruses coming out of nature and, you know, with good reason. Um, you know, I think that we need to understand um, how human impact on wild areas, you know, human incursions mm-hmm. in the wild areas when we 
burned down forest and uh, in in uh, you know in a biodiversity hotspot when we burn down forests and mm-hmm. and put in a, you know a cattle ranch or put in a cornfield or something like that the animals that were in there that might have uh, viruses on them and that they don't bother them. I mean, they are, they have these viruses in them and on them, but they're not bothered by them, but then those animals have no place to go. So, I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of the, the scary things that come out of nature are because we have um, diminished nature. We've diminished these habitats. I mean, even mm-hmm. in, um, even in the Northeast of the United States where the uh, Lyme disease is such a, such an issue, you know, one of the major reasons that that has become an issue is because humans have moved in and um, created these landscapes in which there are no natural predators left of the, what is it, the deer mouse? Mm -hmm. The mouse that carries the, Mm -hmm. the tick that, bites people and gives them you know so we've created these unnatural landscapes and um you know when we have those terrible unnatural landscapes it it sort of wreaks havoc with the kind of controls of the scary stuff that usually exists Mm. it's interesting even just like when you think about mosquitoes and things a lot of times okay mosquitoes have historically been around and they do like to eat and they do like to sting us or whatever. And they're they a pain in the but there's butt. a place, but there's there's <laughs> bats and birds that live off of them. You know, mm-hmm. there's different animals that do and other insects. But part of the problem we have with you know extras, you know, like or too much in one area, I think, is because we've messed with the waterways, and that right. changes mm-hmm. things too. Did you find that about like I want to go back to the wetlands of Nevada because it's so fascinating. Even I don't have you been to Ash Meadows? Um, it's um, just Ash outside Meadows? Death Valley, Ash Meadow. No. It is. Mm-hmm. It has the most, uh, the biggest amount of endemic species in a park area in this country, or something. It's crazy. Really? There's wow. like 23. Mm. Some, I don't want to get it wrong, but off the top of my head, it was like 23 endemic species. Like just you know, from pupfish to lizards to all. The, and when we That's were there, really they have these crystal blue springs, you know. And it, it's amazing. weird because you're in the desert and it's volcanic and it's all these different geolo- geological, you know, crazy mm. things. You're just like, dude, that's crazy. And then here's this mm. crystal blue spring and sure, certain sure fish, water. these fish that you wouldn't see anywhere else. These just mm-hmm. they're bright blue and dragonflies. And we saw bat hunting mm. at broad daylight, a bat yeah. hunting mm-hmm. at midday, which we've never seen do in daylight hours there. Mm-hmm. But it's this wetlands of Nevada, it, it, it's a huge deal because it is connected to the Sierra Nevadas, right? And you were talking about that in, mm-hmm. in your book about this, I mean, the Great Basin, all of that. That is so, people don't just look uh-huh. at Nevada as, as Vegas and a radioactive I know. You know, nuclear site, right? Yeah. So this is really, can you tell everybody a little bit more that you covered in the book? It's, yeah, it's, that was such a great story, you know, mm. just such a great story. And and it all started, it didn't really start because uh, people were trying to build a wetlands. People didn't even think that that was a possibility. Um, it started because some scientists and uh government agency officials wanted to work with ranchers to see if they could try to restore some creeks, you know, because it's so desertified in that part of Nevada. Mm -hmm. If they could restore some creeks to make 
uh, them uh, better habitat for a threatened fish. Uh, and that's how it started. And the ranchers were, you know, kind of reluctant to change anything. They, you know, as we in the United States are mostly we know that. Hey, what's up? It's Alex Morgan. And for me, the start of the new year is all about committing to you from day one. Body Armor's got you and here to help you commit to your fitness goals. Buy any Body Armor products at your local store and Body Armor will give you 50% cash back to put towards your fitness journey. Now through March 31st, commit to fit with Body Armor Sports Drink. Visit www.bacommittofit.com for full rules. And shop now at retailers nationwide. One night, one goal. Stop suicide. On June 3rd, Washington, D.C. will host the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's Out of the Darkness Overnight Walk. For the last 20 years, people have described the overnight as one of the most powerful experiences of their lives. Now is the perfect time for you to join us as people from all over the country come together to send a message of love and hope. Walk over 16 miles from dusk till dawn to raise funds and awareness for suicide prevention. See the landmarks of Washington, D.C. by moonlight. Form lasting friendships, experience healing, and bring hope to those affected by suicide. Join us. Be a part of something extraordinary. June 3rd in Washington, D.C. Register today at TheOvernight.org or call 888-THE-OVERNIGHT. That's TheOvernight.org or 888-843-6837. They, that those are people that have been at loggerheads a lot over how to manage the animals, how to manage the land, you know, um, who really loves the land? Is it the scientists who love the land or is it the ranchers who love the land? You know, so there, there have been, there's been a lot of bad blood. Especially um, with that, uh, the wild horses up there too. Yeah. Oh, gosh, Huge yeah. issue up there. So, um, but anyway, some of these ranchers did agree to start changing their grazing practices with their animals. And it involved um, only letting their animals go near the creeks a little bit of the year. Just, just a little bit instead of hanging out there all the time. And when the animals spent more time, they, they disturbed the area around the creeks, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, every, all natural systems have one form of disturbance or another, mm -hmm. and it really revitalizes them. So there was some disturbance from the cattle, but not, not so much that it made it impossible for riparian vegetation to grow. So anyway, you know, the cattle were kept away for longer, and then, you know, and it's kind of like magic that in the sea, in the soil, there are seeds that are just waiting to grow, waiting mm -hmm. for years, sometimes centuries, waiting to grow. And other seeds that come in by the wind or other seeds that are brought in by birds or whatever. So things started to grow along these creeks that had not grown there for years, maybe decades. And as all these things started to grow along the sides of the creek, all of a sudden the beaver appeared and beaver mm -hmm. had that area, you know, uh, the Europeans uh, exterminated millions of beaver. Um, yeah. Their pelts, just a horrible, mm -hmm. a horrible act. Mm -hmm. uh, nature was committed in the, in the form of taking out all these beaver. So the beaver got in there and the, the ranchers were kind of at first alarmed, like, oh no, what are the beaver going to do? They're going to really make our lives complicated. And they did. They made their lives as ranchers trying to move these animals around more complicated. But the beaver 
you know, started to build their dams and started to make ponds. And it just had this incredible impact on the area, you know, a, 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 a gobsmacking change over a couple of decades where um, not only did all this vegetation, you know, because of the ponds spread out over the land. And of course, then the, uh, that creates a wildlife hotspot, you know, so that bee birds are coming and insects are coming. It actually raised the water table of the land around these creeks. I mean, it's just amazing. And so it was good for the ranchers because now they had plants growing out that the, 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 the uh, cattle could eat. And it was good because the land was um, far less prone to fire, but it, it, and it was just amazing for all this wildlife. So it, it, it's just one of the it's just one of the stories that I just love in the book. In fact, I always get even a little teary when I think about it. Well, I, it but this is what happens when mm -hmm. you all work together. When uh, right. we were in Yuma, Arizona, we always talk about this because it is just one of those amazing mm -hmm. examples. And as we all know, the Colorado River is precious. It's the Nile of the country. Mm -hmm. And it's in huge danger in LA, all, you know, Sorry, you're in Southern California, Margo. You're in trouble for water. I hate to tell yeah. you that. You know, it, but it's yeah. but it, it's an issue with with um, the Colorado River, and so the lower part, just before it goes into Mexico, Yuma, Arizona, is a massive in regards to agriculture. Just it's huge, and so the river yeah. was getting damned. Like so, at one point, it was a major homeless camp, um, and you know, still people are still there, but this. They had all these invasive species of plants and everything. And it was, you know, people dump things. And so this lower part of the river, and then they had a dump, a landfill. So one side of, well, the other, there's two different tribes, depending on what side of the river you go on. So there's right. the Don and there's the Kokopa. And then you have, you know, Yuma, Arizona, and then it goes into Mexico. So 49 agencies work together, 49. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And you're thinking about reservations, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, federal government, people, state, local municipalities. Let me tell I, I know that that's not easy to get everybody on one page and they did yeah. to save this part. And so it took 20 something years and they brought, they started taking out the invasives to get the, the trees to actually shed their, their, they weren't scalding to get the, um, or I don't know what the word is to get the, the seed out because just how it was working has now been ruined. They, the guy was camping on the side of the river, the guy who was heading this up and made a margarita and he dawned on him, oh, let's put the pods, the seed pods in the margarita machine and that will open up the pods and we can plant the trees. And they scarify it. Scarify, thank you. I knew mm -hmm. that that's it, exactly. So anyway, they, we went on a canoe trip just a short one. And the beaver did come back. People didn't realize mm -hmm. beaver agree, you know, are actually in Arizona and they're they all over and they have to now protect the trees. They saved all this wetland and you're in a historic area. You can go on your canoe and as soon as you hit the native species zone, all the birds are there. It's like a, mm -hmm. it's like a welcome it's wagon. Crazy. It is like a curtain, I, I, I can't explain it other than it's like a curtain that you go through. And then everybody's here, egrets and all these, and there's a, mm -hmm. um, a certain flycatcher that has come back. It's insane. And they have over 400 birds that 
are there yeah. at one time. Yeah. So the Pelicans came back. I mean, yeah. I mean, and now families are able to walk there. It they covered up the landfill and made it into a borrowed owls thing. I mean, they've got gardens, native plant gardens, hummingbird gardens. I mean, it's exciting. So we can do it. So it's very similar to the absolutely we can do it. It's do just it. whether or not you can get the right people on board to make it happen. Yeah. And and to it's hard sometimes to get people to understand that their quality of life actually depends on bringing nature back. Yeah, that's a really hard thing for people, some people to grasp because they feel like conquering nature is what brings us quality of life. And that is so not true. It's right. just not true. I mean, if you walk down a sidewalk where everything is concrete, you have asphalt, highway and you've got skyscrapers in here. Try walking down, we've been in places where it's so hot, you really cannot walk down the street. It's too hot. You're getting yeah. heat from all angles. Your body temperature goes up. You feel like you're gonna faint. No, this is not how we're supposed to live. Right. We need the plants. Right. And so I'm like, I, I want to, I really want to take all the concrete out. I just, I'm <laughs> going to give Nancy a, a pickaxe. Okay, I carry. do. I just want to take it all out. It's gross. Well, and it's, it's a huge <laughs> issue in cities in terms of where the greenery is distributed, you know, and mm -hmm. often the, the poorest, darkest skinned neighborhoods yes. where the cities have not invested mm -hmm. in street trees and parks and right. greenery and you know, uh, scientists, there's a scientist here in Portland named Chandas, uh, I think it's his name. And he went around with a heat gun during during the, you know, one of the really hot days in Portland last year. Yes. And the temperature, the street temperature in those neighborhoods without trees was like 10, 15 degrees higher than it was anywhere else. Yeah, in it's and it's oh. not livable. It's well, not I want I, I to say go to treeequityscore.org. Mm -hmm. um, the, through American Forest, they, and, you know, Margaret, you know about them too. And I'm sure you know, Jad, we should have, you, Nancy was saying she wants you on the show with Jad Daly from yeah. American Forest because they did that whole mm -hmm. survey on tree equity. And that's who got us to be aware of, you know, definitely, you know, it, our neighborhoods, you know, if, oh, it's like if you're Black, you don't get trees. I'm sorry. That's what we've done over it the is. years and where it the is. parks yeah. are. And Totally we've really learned, uh, you know, we started documenting parks and public lands, but it was National Park Service. And then we started community. We do all of it now because we realize that every square inch matters right. that we plant. Right. I don't care if it's a pocket mm -hmm. park. I don't care. Just, you know, do it. And so I think, again, going back to your book, Sweet and Tooth and Claw, I think, mm -hmm. can we take it to all the municipalities across the country and I think, you know, yeah, we'll it, should be a, it, should, they need to... it should be a textbook in biology and school. Yeah. That'd be yeah. good. That'd be nice. I, yeah, it should be. Yeah. So did you go down a rabbit hole crazy? Because to me, I wouldn't yeah. probably not make it to even get a book out because <laughs> I'd get too, like, does that happen to you? Do you, do you like totally geek out and I, well, I do. Yes, they are. They are long journeys of conversation. And, you know, and it, it's always sort of a, a shame to me that when I when I actually have to get down and write, you know, and I have to I have to get this chapter finished, I have to get this book finished. 
And um, often some of the conversations that I have with some people don't make it in there just because I can't figure out how to fit everything in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's in the book is actually kind of a fragment of the things that I found out, the people that I talked to. Um, yeah. So we're hoping part two for another yeah. book. Another book. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a beautiful <laughs> yeah. book. I mean, you really bring back the magic because we get riled up as you can tell yeah but we, we need the magic you know you know I I find myself I mean I really do love this book too and I really uh I really was moved so profoundly by many of the stories in it and I find myself when I'm talking to people about it now and they'll ask about you know oh the people who report who replaced the culvert in Oregon so that the salmon could finally go up river or the or the Nevada ranchers or the organic farm in Costa Rica that changed their, you know, and I just get, and I always feel like saying, oh yeah, that's my favorite part, but it, they're all my favorite parts. Yeah, it's hard, but, but it, it's true when you say that you have so much more, there is a lot of good going on we see it as we travel. Yeah. I mean, we really do. You know, and we can't, we've got to focus on that. Well, you talked about in your book about, you know, focusing on the blue versus the yellow, you know, mm -hmm. it's how, where our focus lies, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got to, if we focus on the good that people mm -hmm. are doing, then maybe people that's, I think one of the most important things about your book is where our focus lies. Mm -hmm. And so to keep spirits up, because I think we get, if you're passionate about the environment and nature and wildlife you can get beaten down a little bit because you know don't dare look at Facebook or something oh. but you also can't have your head in the sand of what's going on on the other side right but when you look at these positive actions with results I think we can go so far and wide and it fuels us I mean it's fuel when you read your book it's fuel for me to mm -hmm. keep going with what we do you know mm -hmm. So I think that's a very important thing. Wouldn't you say, Margo? It brings optimism. Yeah. It, it's it's like, oh, you know, this is happening, that's happening, you know, woes me. That brings you nothing. Mm, yeah. But if you can see somebody making a difference and doing change, that's why I've asked for the show. If you can see this happening and you can share that with people, then people say, oh yeah, things can get better. Oh yes look at what this person did. And, and also the information gets out there of how to do it. And mm -hmm. yeah, so optimism is what we need to focus on. And um, nature teaches us to be a village again. That's well, the other part. <laughs> offering solutions. You know, it's, it's one thing to show, highlight the problems. We need that. But we also have to then come up with solutions that are viable. And and that's the hard part because the solutions have to be viable on so many different levels. Like if you're talking to the corporate business people, they're going to want to know how they're going to make money if they adopt a solution for a problem they created. Sorry, guys, but that's They're getting better it at it, though. They are yeah, getting better. Right, because now they're starting to look at, hey, wait a minute, I have kids and I'm going to have grandkids. Mm -hmm. And... If you start thinking about so many levels, you know, forward. 92% um. of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? 
not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in nursing into your busy day. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Balance online coursework and in-person, local clinical, practicum, or immersion hours as you work towards graduation while leaving room for what matters. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. You want your grandkids to have quality air, quality water, a place to run around, not always on concrete. Then you have to start thinking, if I do this, am I taking that away from maybe my own family or my next door neighbor or my best friend over there? Because hmm. eventually it will also go back. Hmm. There it is, the web of life. That's it. That's what yeah. your book is, The Web of Life. It is. Mm -hmm. It is awesome. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Where are you going next? I mean, because I know you're going to go somewhere, right? See nature. Um, where am I going next with yeah. this book? Or where am I going next just to enjoy nature? Even nature. You can do <laughs> both. Nature. You can answer both of those. You know, we are so lucky here in Portland. And mm, beautiful. We, my partner and I in particular are so lucky because there is... Um, there is an urban park that's a completely natural park. You know, it's not a park that's uh, ball fields or anything like that. It's, yeah. just, it's, it's just nature. Mm -hmm. And um, that is the most wonderfully restorative place. You know, we, we do go cool. watching there, but uh, there's some water that comes in from the Willamette River. So there, there's a, a mm -hmm. pond and marsh in there and it's big, it's a big area. Um, so, I mean, we're always looking for the birds, but you know, the birds are really hard to find this time of year, you know, cause they're hiding mm. behind the leaves, but in the water, there are beaver there, there no are way. That's cool. in that water and there's even a mink. And so we're all, oh, wow. Them. And mink. Yeah. Wow. I love the mink, the mink, oh. you know, oh. the mink when we walk through, you know, so often, I mean, the birds, the birds pay us a little bit of attention when we come through, you know, there are certain birds that come down to just like, what are you doing here? And what mm -hmm. are you up to? Um, the beaver don't really pay any attention to us, but the mink, the mink always stops what he or she is doing, lifts up its head and kind of looks at us like, huh, humans, who'd have thought? Yeah, that, that's funny. I think we've only seen like two mink. We've seen muskrat. Yeah, in, in Indiana, we've seen we were, two uh, mink in the wild. Yeah, it, it's so uh, over 23 years, you know. Yeah, it's That's so amazing. rare that is. So exciting to have that natural intelligence and curiosity mm. look back at you and yeah. Like, huh, what are you doing yeah. here? And and what's amazing is you're talking about it, urban, and I know you mm -hmm. talk about this in the book too. Having urban parks are so important. Um, you know, we 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 were on the road since 2013, and we started our tour in 2012, but full time on the road. And we had to take a break and go back to redo our websites <laughs> and everything. So we went back home to Tucson, got a little apartment because we knew we'd bust out. I guess <laughs> let us out. 
And within a week, we had a garden on the patio with hummingbirds and everything, you know, we had to. But we really went exploring our community parks. And what we're finding is a lot of the water reclamation areas are turning them into wetlands and um, using that for, you know, migrating species. And you, we found so many parks that were about just nature. And, you know, I think there's something important about what you're talking about, because we as, uh, you know, citizens or, you know, just go to your city and start being involved with the parks and rec department, you know, not the TV show. That's fun, too. But get involved because, you know, these areas can be added. Golf courses have done some decent jobs. Some have done good and some not. But golf courses because of the water. So if we can take some of these areas and change them, it, it's so cool for kids. And if you have something accessible, they say, I think it's 10 minutes from your house or 10 miles within 10, your house, 15, you should have yeah. a park for kids to have a place to see nature happen. It's huge to see frogs, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, and I it's, mean, who it's not just great educationally and, and emotionally. I mean, that all being around mm -hmm. nature in that way has a physiological effect on us. You know, mm -hmm. we take in the chemicals that the trees exude. We mm -hmm. take in the bacteria that are there. And those things can have very positive influences mm -hmm. on, our, on our health and our mood and everything. So it just feels cool. I mean, just even like mm -hmm. I was saying, going, you know, harvesting, you know, eggplant amongst the spiders sounds weird but there's this chilled out like you, everybody if you have trouble with meditation go garden well, there's, there's also okay. the absence mm -hmm. of of city and traffic noise mm -hmm. which you get used to it you think but i think it grinds on your nerves and then when you go into a forest or you walking down the coastline or something and there's an absence of traffic Wow. I think your mind finally really gets to calm down and go back to, oh, this is who I am. And you can actually think clearly as opposed to when there's a bunch of noise. You can you can actually have quite a deep emotional release through that. Mm -hmm. I mean, just I've yeah. been through that where, you know, suddenly you're in nature and it's like, okay, I'm not coming out. That's it. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. I want to go to you, Margaret. Where's your next nature connection? Oh, we're going to go back up to Napa uh, mm. to to visit that that area up north and see the redwoods and oh cool uh, and yeah the vineyards and yeah and awesome. hey a lot of vineyards are doing better they're doing biodynamic and mm -hmm. you know the vineyards are learning too so Kristen again thank you it's been a true pleasure having you on the show thank you mm. for writing all the books that you have and all the work you do it's it's Thank you. Thank it's, you. It's valuable. My pleasure. And I'm a little, mm -hmm. I'm a little jealous of your traveling life lifestyle. That's pretty. Well, I wish we knew we were just through Portland. I mean, we were in the we Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Or, I mean, we could have gone walking in the park. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you'd have to come up to Napa and just go up from there. But we may be in your neck of the woods uh, next spring, actually. Okay. So you never know. Let's go for a walk in the park and look at me. Yeah. Yeah. You would and love birds. the park. We'll awesome. have to come document it because to me, that's it is the more we, I think we've done over a thousand parks. Now we just yeah. have to get them all up on the website <laughs> to stop so you can get your work done. That's the thing. You're out there in the parks. I mean, here, Nancy, I think our nature connection, we are completely in nature. We have a river below us. Oh, we're, here. Yes. Acres. We're yeah. just we have a, a woodchuck that visits us every day here. Oh, he's so nice. funny. He's and he's cute. big and fat, but he. 
crawls across the grass. And then when he sees us, he flattens out. Yeah. Yeah, so he, comes, so he, he gets from like this tall to that tall, but he gets way wider. And yeah. then he looks kind of like a, a flat walrus and he moves like he's almost swimming across the ground grass. beaver he's a ground beaver yeah he's he's really interesting and then all of a sudden he'll just sit up and look at you like okay you haven't moved for 10 minutes so I think I can actually walk and then he walks it's, it's very cool. he's very we have deer so we, we are totally deer. surrounded we have deer. I mean, it's amazing mm -hmm. and but after this will you be there we're going to be here for two months. It's the longest we've been in one place in years. I know. <laughs> literally like, oh, literally the longest you. we've been in one place. But um, we've, you know, we've done some longer places. But then from here, we go to Wisconsin. We're going to Madison, back to Madison. And then we go to Pennsylvania, Northeast Pennsylvania. So we'll see all the fall color change and everything out there. We'll be out on a farm out there again, too. We kind of keep we're going like out into these. We're like oh, a pinball areas. machine, you know. <laughs> yeah. Ding dong, yeah. Ding dong. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's cool. I mean, you do see how communities are doing their parks, and that's mm -hmm. why I'm really glad you brought that up about Portland. These urban parks, they're getting better, but it's important that the communities connect and connect with their municipalities and say, "This is mm -hmm. where we want our tax money to go." And yeah. it's not always about ballparks. And if you have a ballpark, do a side. There's a you can do a side that is nature, nature you know like a wilderness like the same thing as you go into a national park or a forest they'll go here's your playland but from there on out is wilderness thank god for the wilderness acts over 50 well, years now you know you know so we're supposed to live within nature it doesn't mean we can't have our own things like a ballpark but let's rein it in a bit yeah you know and not take over the world and make it all ballparks or or pavement or vehicles you know Let's be well, fair you, we, about it. There's there's a park outside Gladewater. It's actually Mineola, Texas. It's in East Texas, and this is a just. It's got the ballparks. It's got the ramadas, but they've got this whole natural side with gators. Mm -hmm. Seriously, yes, so cool. <laughs> there's gators and stuff. <laughs> so we're seeing a lot of these mixed use parks where they're mm -hmm. splitting it off between, and I think that's something we can achieve. Yeah, in a better way it doesn't. I'm for national parks, but we can create the these. One of the things that um, people are, I see, I noticed that people are doing here in Portland is is working with, I guess, maybe local businesses and, and government to find tiny little patches of land that aren't really being used. You know, maybe an acre. Yes. Yes. And letting it sort of go wild, um, especially if there's some water there, letting it, you know, letting mm -hmm greenery grow around and then putting a little path around it so that bird watchers and all and, mm -hmm. some of those and eventually people keep adding to it and it becomes like in in tucson mm -hmm. front cover i'm you just i keep looking at them i'm homesick for them but um mm -hmm. tucson it they have this it's, i think it's over 100 or 200 miles of trails going through mm -hmm. different not just you know tucson but down to you know down south through sayurita and all of those oro valley and then they started putting public art and then it's like everybody starts to really understand and connect and go into different communities by their bicycle, which is, or horse, you know, some of them are horses. And, so, mm -hmm. you know, it's like you could be jogging and all of a sudden here comes, you know, a bunch of cowboys. It's not a bad thing, but <laughs> it's cool. But I wanted, to, I want to leave oh, with this. Boy. This is the coolest thing. We, like I was just saying, we were out in Asheville, North Carolina with our friends and 
who did Chimney Rock State Park, Hickory Falls. That's where we were talking before we recorded on the on water snakes that we saw on mushrooms. But we they said you've got to go to the flower bridge. There's this bridge where everybody planted flowers. And I'm like, what that's do you mean? so cool. So, you know, I'm thinking like wildlife bridges, you know, the wildlife corridor act and all that. Mm. And no, so what happened? It's a Lake LaRue, I'm gonna get I think is the name. I'm gonna have to look mm -hmm. it up, but it's outside Lake Chimney Lure. Rock North. L-U-R-E. Lake Lure. Lure. That's right, Nancy. Yeah, yeah you got it. Mm -hmm. And so it's outside Chimney Rock and this little village and the state park. So they were gonna tear down this bridge to build a new one. So the town got together and said, heck no, this bridge mm -hmm. has been here for since 1915. We're keeping the bridge. You build your new one over there. And they took the bridge and made it into a massive garden. And I'm not kidding. Awesome. There's butterflies everywhere. There's whimsical art. And mm -hmm. you can look over the bridge at the water and see the ducks. And they have wood ducks. They've got signs about the wood ducks. I mean, this it's was like so a cool. pollinator haven. Then you go down by the side to the bottom of the bridge, which normally is like, don't go under the bridge. The troll's going to get you. <laughs> Underneath there, they have this shady spot with a topiary of a dog. They have a rainbow bridge for mm -hmm. dogs who have passed and everyone puts their collar. They have a shady dog spot for the garden. I mean, this is the coolest thing on the planet. Yeah. And I was like, these are the things. So Marco, we're yeah. going to be busy. We've got a lot of recording to do. We got so okay. many more because we're seeing my camera out. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you go in there, you're going to trip out the, the flowers. <laughs> so it's all of these volunteers get together. It's awesome. 100% volunteer. Yeah, so there's good stuff. That's and great. you've got another book to write now. I know you've got another book to write. I'm just saying. I'll yeah. Start you yeah, start waiting. Get that volume two going. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you again, everyone. Uh, Kristen's book is out now. By the time this airs, it's Sweet and Tooth and Claw, Stories of Generosity and Cooperation in the Natural World. Mm -hmm. It's through Patagonia, who we love. Go to kristenolson.com. And of course, every fourth Friday, we're here with Margot. And you got to go to her website, carrerafineartgallery.com. And uh, she's got beautiful shawls on there. You can wrap yourself in nature. I'm just saying. Yeah. And decorate your house nice. with nature, beautiful nature photography. And so, of course, keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you.